0: Thanks for joining us on episode 1308 of the Inspired Stewardship Podcast.
1: I'm Ken Stearns, and I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to find our own story and listen to others' stories is key, and one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott Maderer. And this is a man's man. This is a guy where I'm his son. They were football. It's like football. These are sports people. Like I forget he was a letterman in basketball. And just you start hearing the personal struggles of a guy whose life is perfect on the outside. But it's not. Nobody's life is like that. And you know,
0: In today's interview with Ken Stearns, I asked Ken to share with you his journey to becoming the host of The Jar. I also asked Ken to share his unique understanding about faith and how it brought him to where he is today. And I asked Ken to talk with you about some of the interviews he's had and what they have taught him and what they can teach you. One reason I like to bring you great interviews like the one you're going to hear today is because of the power in learning from others. Another great way to learn from others is through reading books. But if you're like most people today, you find it hard to find the time to sit down and read. And that's why today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go to slash audible to sign up and you can get a 30-day free trial. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from, and instead of reading, you can listen your way to learn from some of the greatest minds out there. That's inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to get your free trial and listen to great books the same way you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to the show, Ken.
1: Good morning.
0: It is and- a good morning. We're recording this bright and early whenever you're listening to it. We have got through the intro a little bit about your journey through life. Yes. Yep. Uh, being in Asia, being in insurance, doing corporate gig. I I we've talked before, and I mentioned we have some things in common of doing the corporate gig for a while, being on planes, airports, hotel rooms, all of that wonderful <laughs> stuff. And then now you're doing this podcast called The hmm. Jar and putting these stories out. Can you talk a little bit about that journey and that transition and what brought you to the corporate world and then what caused you to leave?
1: Absolutely. Again Scott thanks for having me on the show this is a great chance i love the i just love the concept of what you're doing and a pleasure to be on the platform and for the listeners hey anybody anybody coming home anybody sitting in the airport right now listening to this anybody getting on a plane to go somewhere you don't want to go tomorrow for work or you'd rather be at home god bless you man keep grinding stay at it for if you're in if you're enjoying it and you know where you're at so I'm I'm a kind of a Midwestern kid, is my bio. And I, I call myself a kid still. I'm a kid at heart. And I did the college thing, went to Carolina, left Chicago, went to Carolina, bounced over to LA because my sister was there and invited me over for a weekend. Went to Huntington Beach, never went back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ended up getting married, having kids, got I took this accounting degree to, you know, to the street, right? And I was an accountant for a wee bit. And then I wrote a couple of checks for expenses and for commission checks to salespeople. And I realized, man, I can do that. And the next thing I knew, I got fired by my first three sales jobs. Almost got fired for my fourth one, which was a insurance job. And just a little bit of luck in that last bit. And I don't know how, but I made it through and then started to perform pretty well. And I ended up with an opportunity to go to Asia. It's kind of a protracted story but it's basically early internet and I replied to an ad and I had a particularly like the that famous line I had a particularly weird set of skills that they were looking for and so I ended up in Asia in 2000 as a, a young corporate guy 40 years old in a starting over because I'm starting from the the bottom if you would as an expat a foreigner working and it, an amazing next 20 years an opportunity to live and work live in five countries, work in probably 15 over the time, running insurance companies, helping build distribution a lot, focused a lot on sales distribution. In my early, the early 15 years part of that was heavy focused on that. And the last five were really focused on on senior management, leadership, running the companies. And just soul crushing over time. Me, corporate, the corporate world is brutal the higher you go. The swords are bigger. The battle armor is bigger. The players are are gnarlier, but lovely at the same time. It's really hard in a way to articulate it. And I think listeners that are in the corporate world understand there's moments where it's just amazing. There's great personal achievements. There's great team achievements. There's a lot to keep you in the game and a lot to keep you satisfied. At the same time, I had some creative, I had a lot of creative energy that was coming out through my strategies. So funny, you know, I look back in a way I was a really good strategist and I could make great stories around what we have to do and why we have to do it. And I started real, I'm actually suppressing my real talents or I'm allowing them to at least escape through this corporate I- I- ideas. And that was probably part of my leadership stick, if you will. I'm my what I brought to the table
0: probably Maybe part not of stick successful honestly
1: yeah it was my value right not a kind of stick but it was my really my value partly what made me successful was the ability to articulate strategies and things in ways that other people couldn't to get people to buy into it and to follow along and then of course execution and I became pretty good at all that but it's still at a cost for me personally and felt that bubbling I got through a couple of really brutal roles. Uh, And at the end of that, this is maybe about five years ago, through the end of a brutal role, I got assigned to a cushy job. And it was my last one with that company, with that really crazy, high-level and performance company, very demanding. And so all of a sudden, I knew it was going to happen. They were starting to come out. I was home for a break and with my daughter coming back from Arizona, go through Vegas. And I'm like, I want to buy a guitar. I don't know why, but I want to buy a guitar. And I want to learn to play. I'm going to try, and I'm going to commit to myself. I'm going to. I got a. And I got a nice check. I'm going to spend some real money on a guitar, something beautiful, and I'm going to give it time. And I made a, a personal contract with myself. I'm going to give it two years. Have a teacher, and I won't give up until the two years. And so at the end of the two years, even if it stinks, the last six months, I'll make a call. Keep going or drop it. And I don't know why, but I, I just made this silly contract with myself, and. Uh, It's a story of even picking out the guitar was magical. I even had a, I developed a Ken's rule from an interaction with a gentleman that helped me pick a guitar. But there I was back in, I was back in Thailand with a really soft job and a guitar and I found a teacher and the teacher turned out to be pretty instrumental in my life. Who do you know? He's a bastard child from a priest in a southern island of the Philippines. Like, who, like he and I have about as much in common—zero in common—except this guitar moment where we spend an hour together, and we became an R today, great friends. And he was along the way. He said, kept saying, "We should write a song. We should write a song." I thought, man, okay. And eventually, I realized I had started a book a while back, a couple books on airplanes. We talked, writing on airplanes, and there's only so much you can do on an airplane. And for whatever reason, I started writing this concept book of Dear, Dear Dad. And it was letters to my father who died when I was 28 and missed all my corporate life. A lot of corporate moments, business moments. And he was a businessman. You'd be so proud or so shocked to call your dad. You're like, sad. I got fired. Or this. And you'd want to share those moments. So anyway, but that book had turned into Dear God, inspired by my mom. And I don't really remember where or when I started it, but I started writing these letters. And they were like spiritual journey, a religious book, but it's very spiritual, very holistic human way of looking at these questions. And that ultimately led me down the road to finish the book. So goofy is to write songs. I pulled words from a draft that I had done. And I got so excited about writing songs that I started writing more of the book <laughs> so I could get more w- lyrics from my. Because I didn't know how to write songs, but I, I could write words, I could write stories, but I couldn't write a song. And so I started doing this. You couldn't write a song because
0: that's what you were doing.
1: It turns out I was writing. So I, but I ended up finishing, I got so into this construct of the book, inspired by the idea, the design of it, and the logic to it, that I finished the book. And Somewhere along the way, this, this idea of what was in the book and the finishing that and using that to be to it's, it's a, maybe to be a public speaker. But along the way, I was kind of like, this is a very unfortunate title for a public speaker. Dear God is not going to get me a lot of bookings. <laughs> doesn't matter what's in the book. The title is in today's corporate world lot, yeah. in America, it, I'm going to be running the church circuit. I'm like, and that's not me. So I have to be genuine. I'm a business person. That's where I bring my expertise. I don't really know how it happened, but these unintentional ideas, these unintentional acts that I was doing in following, following the breadcrumbs and pursuing, I don't, I wasn't pursuing anything. I was just following in a way. It's a strange thing. We're to, told to pursue our dreams. And I think sometimes you don't know what your dream is. It's not always easy to articulate it or even to see it. Especially if you're inside a place where you are really every day burning your energy for your work and your family, your work and your family. There's not a lot of personal inspirational space. So creating a dream and following a dream may not be that easy to articulate. So I followed the path. I followed the things in front of me. And I did some some intentional things that led me to a space where I was sitting in Vietnam and I'm writing this book. I've almost got it done. I'm super inspired by the structure to it. And I have this idea of I should also do a podcast. This is early on in the podcast, not so early on. And that idea with this old idea of traveling the country when I retired, and somehow these came together, and I realized I want to do a traveling podcast. And then eventually the ideas came to use the book as the questions and to create, because I'm not... a I'm not a podcaster. I'm not a really good interviewer. Honestly, I never because I'm good at being interviewed. Maybe I thought, but I wasn't a good interviewer. I did not have that skill. So I thought pre-printed questions, use questions in a jar. So I created this giant jar, had this jar built, printed 400 questions from the book, and that's what I'm doing. Is I'm traveling the country with this with this jar and these questions, and interviewing people. I want Across the country, so I'm on uh, 111 cities, 444 people. About halfway through, starting back up at the end of March uh, from Atlanta.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, th- I think the message for me from the from listening from a corporate, you're in the work and you're in a leadership role, is finding because it's all it's going you're going to retire right. There's going to be a point, point. and one are you? The question I was asking myself was what do, what's going to be my third act. What does my third act look like when I retire from corporate? And that's my persona, right? That is really part of who I am. That's a big drop-off. I don't, I want to ha- I want to be somebody before that. I want to have a plan. I want to have that. What am I working towards? Again, I don't know what my dream is. So I starting to ask myself and ask the universe, what am I going to do with my third act? What does that look like? And this is that, that, and playing the guitar this intentional stuff, intentionally asking the question over, doing something goofy, not knowing the outcome, but right. just committing to it. And I like this momentum idea. You develop little momentums in your life that, you know, your job is not a momentum. Your career is, I don't quite how to describe it because I'm just thinking of this analogy as I go. You are in control. When you're in control of things you're doing, Right. you have momentum. You're building an energy for yourself in a direction, and corporate is not always something you're in control of. It's more like a gyroscope you're holding.
0: Yeah, even <laughs> if you're the CEO, you're still not really completely in control of everything that's going on in the company, <laughs> at,
1: or even in your career, especially in your career in the yeah. direction. I and I was in a I was in this or crazy f-
0: could let you go <laughs> at any time.
1: <laughs> oh, that, and that's what I mean, like you're literally not in control of anything, Scott. And heck, I. I remember showing up to an event I was in Vietnam great I had burned myself just I had literally pulled the best strategies, ground the team, built these teams I had done all the dirtiest dirty work for two years, two and a half years and the place was starting to f- it was on fire. We were literally burning. I had a great team we were killing it and the next couple of years were going to be you could see the results were going to be great. My bonuses were going to be rocking. I was in the sweetest spot and loving it. And we have this big event. The regional guy comes down and we're sitting there and we're about to start and the lights are getting low. And he leans over to me and he goes, I need you in Indonesia next week. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> I'm moving you. I'm about to go on stage with 5,000 people up in this audience. It's a huge event. It's is- yeah, I need you to know. <laughs> Don't get too excited. I,
0: I wanted to call out a couple of things that um, you said during that, that, that story. And thank you for sharing. And I, part of it is, I, let me start here. Because like you said, unless you've been in that kind of corporate structure, I don't think everyone always understands. But a lot of people, and I, I'm not going to say this is true for everybody, because mm. obviously, I don't think there's any one journey that's true for all people. But yeah. One of the commonalities that I think you and I have is, it's not that you hated your corporate job, yeah, it's yeah. not that you weren't good at it, and it's not that you didn't love it in many ways. It's just you knew there was something else <laughs> too, and you weren't 100% sure what it was. You just knew didn't know all of it.
1: Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and I think I said it is there are, I mean... I have such great memories. I had amazing times. And I've, been, I've got friendships all around all around the region there. I still in contact with people and just made so many corporate friends and moments. And heck, I just stayed with that same boss. I just spent three nights with him and his wife in Charlotte, North Carolina. Wow. And this is a guy, he's so buttoned up so hard. He was like Marine Corps hard, but he's just such a lovely guy now. Right. He's such a great human. But it is, it's there is, if there's something more, and maybe there's a lot of people that want to finish corporate and just chill. And if you can do that or do some, but there should be something inspiring you in life to keep you going. There's a third act. And so that third act for you is chilling with grandkids and traveling with your spot partner. So I think we need to envision that horizon. I've got this kind of horizon thinking strategy and it's not, it's just a different articulation of old stuff, but it's just thinking about where you can't see.
0: What's well, over the horizon?
1: It's over the horizon. You're thinking about and impl- plotting that course to make sure you stay on cor- on course over that horizon, and you've got you're doing things that give you momentum right. to stay in that direction. I don't know. Playing guitar could be something I might be doing when I'm eighty. No, I didn't know.
0: And it's not even about. It's about playing guitar, but it's not about playing guitar. What I mean by that is that's the thing you decided to lean into.
1: Yes. This is
0: not telling everyone, go pick up a guitar.
1: (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Actually, don't even pick up a guitar because it does suck for two years.
0: It's a hard job. It's hard to learn. But the idea of finding something that you can lean into that you do have control over that does feed that passion, does feed your heart, your soul. And then I also love the fact that you said, I committed to doing it for two years, no matter what. And and again, even the two years thing. Maybe it's two years. Maybe it's six months. Maybe it's six. Uh, years. Yes, you know, that doesn't matter. But that idea of no, I know I'm probably not going to be good at this and enjoy this right away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm smart enough to know that this is probably going to suck <laughs> for a while. So let that me just totally kind of commit to it and lean into it and say I'm just going to push through and make the commitment to myself because that's really the only person you made. It's the, it's the only one. And said I'm going to do. This long. And then you did that. And it's that act of identifying something that for you fed some sort of passion connected to your whole heart, your soul, your mind, your spirit, whatever language you want to use, and that you had control over it. Because at the end of the day, picking up the guitar at night or not to practice was up to you. It's not, it's not, even though you committed to having a teacher, it's not like he followed you home at night and said, okay, now you got to practice for three hours or whatever. You had to do that.
1: It really was. <clears throat> it's a great. It's a. I think it's a great point. I'll, I'll tell the story when I bought the guitar, because it came out to be a, an idea, an ideal for me. One of my rules. One of Ken's rules is, is, is inspired for this gentleman. And so I'm in this guitar. Imagine the Las Vegas guitar, guitar shop. Right. I forget what the the, ginormous room with literally three stacks high of guitars. So I don't know, it's about 20 foot tall ceiling, big box. Oh, the only place
0: bigger is the one in Nashville, but yeah. Keep okay. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Guitar center. It's just oh, huge. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, and this is a nice, you know, the acoustic room and I'm walking around. I have no idea what I'm doing. And it's super embarrassing. I'm 54 years old. I'm a dork walking around this thing, staring at these. And I have no idea. So that was what- party. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> <one's> party. <laughs> and looking at the price tags and that, you know, I, and I have a couple that I like, but I don't. And I want to make sure I get the right one. And, and there's no one around, really. But I see this one guy moving from stool to stool. It's about my age. He's a handsome looking. Like he just looks pro. He's got the right clothes on. He picks the guitar,s up, sits in the stool, right, plays it beautifully, and he's moving around. And, and and I just end up like right there in front of him for a second. And I'm just I'm compelled. I look at him. And I'm like, hey, man. Can you help me out? And he's like, sure. And I tell him my story. And he looks at me and he goes, pick the red one. I'm like, and he could see my face. Like, huh? Why? <laughs> he's like, the red one. The one that talks to you from across the room. The one you can't take your eyes off. Mm-hmm. The one you want to hold. You want to caress it. You don't want to let it go. I was like, Wow. When he said it, too, I knew exactly which guitar he meant for me. I had already seen my red one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, thank you. And I just turned around and went over and grabbed that guitar off the wall, and I was done. And I felt so great. And it was that to me is the way he said it. Yeah, it is so a- applicable for so many things in life. It was like it was sage stuff. I'm trying to buy a guitar, and I got the lesson of a lifetime. Pick the red one. And I think for listeners in life pick the red one.
0: Yeah. Just lean into the thing that you already know. Yeah. I I'm a coach. I work with a lot of people and, yeah. and and the number of times that part of the conversation ends up with, okay, so you already know what you're supposed to do. Yes. Why aren't you doing it? It's like you just told me what you're supposed to be doing. Yes. Don't do it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know that
1: but it's almost like
0: we have to wait for permission.
1: This is interesting. Is that it is something like, or that last nudge from somebody that's close to us, that listens to us. You are, you're kind of waiting. I was waiting for permission to buy the one I wanted. Yeah.
0: You you, you leaned into an expert. You honestly yeah. don't know that he was an expert, but in your mind, he was, regardless well, he of was- whether he was or not. He absolutely <laughs> was playing. He was, he seemed like he, this guy must know what he's doing.
1: He was my coach.
0: Yeah. And he, he was and he my coach. Coached you in that moment and said, dude, you already know the answer. Just go do it.
1: Yeah. And I was open to the coach. I think the other part was I was open to coaching. I recognized I was over my head in this particular situation. And I think people listening to you, you this is something I really wish I had more of. And I found one, uh, he was a headhunter, but he was a good coach. And I had him my last eight years of the career. And I wish I had used him more, leaned into him more, called him more. I think there is this is one thing I wish I had done is had more of a coach.
0: Yeah, had more and, people and that, outside of your own head that were speaking. Yeah. Life. yeah.
1: They could advise me from an unemotional third-party way outside the corporate life, outside my silly little vertical of friends as well, other people. But they're in the same polluted environment in a way. Not polluted, but same constricted environment. So I I think if you are listening. Same
0: frame. They're looking at the world in the same frame.
1: Yeah. Ex- this is so well put. They have the same frame. So they're not really a great advisor. And even the coach was... In He was out, but he was okay. still also a headhunter.
0: <laughs> and you often, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, there's value in both. There's value in having a mentor. And I would argue that a mentor is somebody that does have the same frame. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody that is
1: looking at the world. He was world, a mentor. Right, can
0: be ahead of you or behind you, but they're on the same kind of curve in some way or in the same world where a coach is often outside of the frame completely. Okay. And they can look back and go, that because they can ask the questions of, the, from a place of ignorance, you, yes, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Which is valuable to have somebody Oof. going, wait a minute. Because like you mentioned uh, several times, you said things like, I was creative, but I wasn't going to be, I, I wasn't a songwriter. I wasn't yeah. somebody who could play guitar. And yet you were playing guitar. It, I, I, and I was writing You so were writing songs, <laughs> yeah. but yet in your head, it's, I'm not these things. Yes. Know? And the coach can say from outside can often go, but why are you not those things? what makes you say you're not those things and ask those challenging questions from outside, yeah. so to speak. So, you anyway, know, that's why yeah, I-,
1: I was never an author. I, I think I was writing the book. I think I probably even had it published and I still wasn't an author in my mind. Right.
0: You weren't a writer. Yeah, I'm not a writer. I know I people can't be have two or three books that still say they're not writers, And it's well, okay. <laughs> you <know. laughs> What's your definition of writer? Then? Let's,
1: let's look up, <laughs> let's Google this. Cause it's Googleable. Yeah.
0: So let's uh, talk a little bit about, you wrote a book called dear God. And obviously, you know, that started as your dad, but turned into your God. Talk about how your faith journey and the faith journey here does not necessarily mean what church did you go to, because that's yeah, religion, yeah. that's a different thing. But how did your faith journey intersect with your your corporate journey and your transition to being a writer and a yeah, be- <laughs> and
1: all of those other <laughs> things that you're not? <laughs> yeah, that I'm definitely not. Yeah. I I was at all I was a good old catholic boy raised catholic i was the altar boy 6 a.m mass you know on sundays and tuesdays and wednesdays whatever your thing was and my mom's super very christian very catholic like i think so many catholics kind of fell away from the church maybe a little too much too soon and took a long break from anything church related and i lived in these countries right i lived I had this very unique perspective. And so I started traveling. I lived in the largest Muslim country in the world, Indonesia. I lived in the largest Buddhist country. I lived in the largest Hindu country. I lived in one of the largest or worked in and lived in another large country where there was no God. Mm -hmm. Literally, God was not part of the state apparatus and the churches were frowned upon. So I, I have a really unique, weird experience with faith. <laughs> and all faiths. I write in my. I think it's on the back of the book or the forward. I basically say I believed in everything and nothing spiritually. And the only thing that obviously was there was was I'd say the universe showing me this path. And I was writing the book, and I had some real inspired God winks, or guardian angel, or breadcrumbs, or validations from the universe. Whatever it was, there's no denying. I was seeing some things that were encouraging me. And one of the weird things was four, this number four, 444. Four, four. And I kept getting this when I was constructing the book, a ton of this stuff, really weird. And that's why I picked 444 cities and 444 questions. What the, pro- the name of the book, or actually, I'm saying what I was going to do, not the book, but the podcast and the tour was called Project 444. Mm. For the longest, up until... I'd come back from COVID and I was in my room one day and I just, the jar hit me because the jar is the centerpiece of the show. It's the jar. It's between
0: live in the jar. Yeah.
1: The questions live in the jar. People pull it out from the jar. It's sits between us. I had the jars. I had the jar. I commissioned the jars to be made. So they're living, breathing apparatuses of they're an embodiment of the idea. So the person who did these is also another story. I met him in 2003 in bali an american glass artist and i ended up he ended up in america at the moment i needed him to make the jars and a month after he made the last jar he went back to indonesia all these really great things the interesting part of real quick sharing on the part of the book the I think we're okay on time, a little side story on the construct. So very quickly, the book's got four parts, the book of self, the book of you, The I'm sorry, the book of self, the book of others, the book of all, and the book of you. And the book of self is about your yesterdays, your todays, and your tomorrows. And that's that inner circle, right? That's This is what is I think as executives, how we're looking at the past, what's our career about, and what are we going to do today? And again, the tomorrow thing, what's tomorrow about? what's that horizon what's over the horizon what are we what are you doing today to keep some momentum so you're in control when that gyroscope stops that you're holding when that corporate gyroscope you hand it off what momentum have you built to keep you sustaining and keep you to keep feeding your head and to keep feeding your actions so you have a you've got something going on and it may not be the thing you do later but it's going to be something it'll lead to something and uh, the other part of the book, the part is between two people, acceptance, forgiveness, compassion, great leadership skills as well. I think something when you're in your, with your staff and you're with people, cause you're dealing with people at work. And those are some things I don't have to acceptance doesn't mean approval. It, it means I, I disagree I can with
0: you, but I can still accept you. That's
1: exactly. Good. I can understand how you get there. I may not agree with what you're doing, but I can accept the fact that this is who you are, what you think or what you believe. And then it's, then it's, it's love, karma, and service. And I think even at a corporate level, this is a good mantra with your, not as a one-on-one person, but more of as a kind of a, a, a group, right? When you look at your corporate, your whole organism, it's making sure you've got that humanity of love, right? That people come to work and they feel all the things that the definition behind love. We treat people, right? You can't talk about love at, at corporate and world. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah. whatever that embodiment is. when design your policies. And when you talk to people, you've got that, you've come in from that space, right? And service and a place of service. How do we, how do we make sure we're serving our staff and people? And if we did those things at work, people would feel it. right? And the last one is faith, hope, and prayer. And that's more of a spiritual side. That was probably as religious as I got in the book, uh, talking about faith. And, but faith is not in the book, I don't design it as a spiritual faith in a God or a particular religion. It's, it ultimately comes down to our ironically, I think my storyline comes back to it's faith in ourselves and the either your God or anybody's God really or no God. Ultimately, it comes down to it's up to us and we're built with that innate faith in ourselves that it's going to come down to us doing it. So it gives you strength. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Because it's up to you, (laughs) but and no one's going to rescue you, right? And you can't trust on the gods or the spirits to guide you in some particular to give you luck. It's not going to happen. It's up to us at the end of the day. And uh, and I think hope, hoping things are going to be better. And I think if you're on the spirit, the farther you are on the spiritual spectrum, I think the more you can embrace hope. I think it is. I think that one is a bit is a bit of a tentacle there. I think so. Yeah. So that was a construct of the book. And <clears throat> I think it was just a very interesting the way that it all came together. And there's a lot of corporate, there's a lot of corporate synergies there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think sometimes, again, it's why I made the joke of, yeah, Yo, you can't talk about love in the corporate world. HR will get on you for that. <laughs> it, 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 it's a different kind of, you're not talking about, you know, two people, Yes, together yeah. at work and all of that. You're talking about the fact that we're treating each other with humanity. Yes. <laughs> Again, you started. You're working. You're dealing with people at work and the number of managers or bosses and because, you know, like you, I was a leader of leaders and all of that. Yeah. And I've literally had a manager walk into my office and go, "This job wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for all the people." And it's like, <laughs> your whole job. <laughs> it's like literally your job duty is to manage people. <laughs> it's like that's the job description
1: man uh,
0: if you don't like people we might have a problem if you uh, anyway it's that but that's literally how and again we i know why they were feeling that at that moment and we talked about it absolutely there's a good reason i'm sure and there was a good reason but at the same time (laughs) it's one of those you hear that come out of their mouth and you're like really it is your job but but at the same time, it is. It's having that humanity of the moment to recognize that both for me to recognize that he was being human in that moment. And so I didn't yell at him and I didn't bite his head off. And I didn't, I said, What do you mean? Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. That kind of thing. He needed some love because he needed loving, but he needed at the a same hug. Time, it was so <laughs> that he could turn around and love on the people that he needed I, to love on. <laughs>
1: you know? This is true, though. But corporate, you do drain. Absolutely. I worked with this guy. He was such an amazing leader. He was really, truly one of the most charismatic. He's he could have told people to drink the Kool Aid, they would have done it. He was really, and still today's a great, inspired person. And he knew I had that kind of energy, that sharing your energy, giving it out, and pouring it out. And where you do speeches or on stage, and you have to motivate. And there's and then go around the room and shake the room and and keep the energy going. And then out to dinner and go around the tables, and. He we were talking in a car one day or at the airport or somewhere, and he said, you know, Ken, who we give all this energy, we give all this motivation out. And it's quite tiring, quite draining spiritually, emotionally, physically. He says, Who puts back for us? Who who gives who fills our cup? How do you fill your cup? And that was a wow for me.
0: That'll that's what burns people out. Is when they when they're he, giving it out and not refilling.
1: Yeah, and I wasn't sure. His question was interesting because he knew the answer in a weird way. I think, I, I think he knew, but I, I don't know if he was asking me for the, to see if I knew. But I, it didn't dawn on me. I was you like, knew at that point. I don't know, honestly. I think he was asking. Maybe he was asking for help. Maybe okay. he was asking. Uh, but I couldn't imagine that he would be asking for help. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> From a superstar level, for me, I looked up to him as um, really on another level, a level that I he was gifted in a way I was not gifted. But yeah, I don't know if he knew. Maybe he was asking for help. Yeah. But I think great for listeners is if you are in that role and as a leadership role, sometimes you have to, it's not always outpouring emotional stuff, but sometimes it's holding back truths that people can't hear. There's a lot of tough things we do as leaders. So making sure you fill your cup. And you have finding it. that, and it could be that coach. It could be the mentor we talked about earlier. It can help fill, just top it off a little bit, but be careful of your, make sure you're aware of that as a leader. And if you're in that place, it can really lead to burnout. That gives people heart attacks. It gives you, if oh, you're yeah. not getting that thing filled back up,
0: it, le- it leads to, yeah, it leads to a lot of burnout.
1: Like, so. Many things, right? There's many things. Uh, you know, I'm sure it manifests itself in many ways, but that there is a drain. You've, you are losing fluid as a leader, right? You've got a hole, make sure you're filling it up.
0: Well, and often you're in a position where you're limited in that environment with who you can look to internally. Oh. Again, we're back nope. to the, if, you know, There's your peers n- and your quote subordinates, and I hate that word, the people that report to you, you have a certain level of interaction and you can't interact in other ways. And even your peers, you can interact in certain ways. No with others. Yeah, you cannot and if show you that go face. Up the ladder. You've got limits on what you definitely can do. not. So, so no matter which way you go, you've almost got to go outside of.
1: You have to go outside. To yeah, it. yeah. Holy cow! If you can't go to your peers, they'll crush you with the information.
0: And if you go to, and if you go up, then now all of a sudden that can be held against you.
1: You got HR. On, then HR will be in having in a, in a mental and yeah. a call with a psychop.
0: <laughs> so I want to. And honor of time, we've got a few yep. questions that I want to ask, uh, Absolutely. That ask everyone. But but before we go there, I've got a quick question for you about the jar, because I, I think this is a unique format. It's something that's interesting. It's something that's different. Would you share, and I'll leave it up to you, mm. share a little bit about maybe either a, a really good interview you had or a difficult one or a challenge, or if you had to pick one story, and I know I'm being mean mm. to you, Yeah. What story comes to mind immediately that you would want to share with the listeners about the jar?
1: Yeah, I, there's, this is, since we're talking to leaders, there's so many, so many good human interactions obviously that I've had and so many really inspired leadership and inspired stewards kind of stuff where I'm just, I'm amazed at the strength of humanity, honestly, how strong we really are in the end. And there's one that comes to mind. And this gentleman really, really did have the greatest life. Like he was charmed. This guy's tall. He's ha- he's super handsome. Even he's 60. I'm sitting across. His hair is, his hair is perfect. He's living in a great neighborhood in a great house. I hear his story. Goes to New York, becomes a, an ad man, makes millions at a firm, starts off the big firm, goes to the small scraggly firm, builds it up, sells it. It's a dream corporate story, honestly. Comes back to, we were down in Virginia and it's where he was from. So he comes back home, back to his neighborhood. He's a beautiful wife. He's got the four kids. It's storybook stuff, but it's not. Right? It's not. And ultimately, the story comes out and he finds he's a little bit, and he's got that cough. And he ignores the cough. And he's still doing this. He's got his little gig going. He's, like, and just keeps grinding. The cough becomes a fever. And then he finds out stage two cancer. And the, the journey and then losing his son to suicide. Mm. And this is a man's man. This is a guy where I'm his son. They were football. And it's like football. These are sports people. Like I forget he was a letterman in, in basketball. And just you start hearing the personal struggles of a guy whose life is perfect on the outside. But it's not nobody's life is like that and the pain and suffering of losing a son and especially the losing a child right but as a man in a weird way losing that son the connections man it crushed me but he was so he had such strength telling the story and i think he was he had faith but he didn't wear it on his sleeve and i don't know if that's really what got him through or family and support but And I think it's the message of looking at people around us in in corporate life and how they act and what we think about them, right? The presumptions we make about how they look and how things look from the outside, how our own lives look from the outside, what people see. I'd encourage people to be more open about what's going on in your life. Being, I think it's okay to be open with those things and definitely open with your struggles as things happen. But remember, to the person across from you at the table. You know, you might have less than positive feelings for and work does that at times forces you into situations where you're not, you don't, may not love that person across the room or half the people in your, your round table. You may not have the best feelings for. <laughs> Remember, they've got their own struggles as well. And they're humans and they're going through life and their past may not reflect their present and they're doing the best they can with what they've got usually. And even if they're not great people or great humans in a way, they are still doing what they know. Right. And so, give them some grace. Doesn't mean you you don't have to protect yourself or keep an eye or just know what they're you know what they're up to because they they might be doing stuff wrong, but have some grace for them.
0: It's that w- when you realize that we're all walking wounded, it, it's a little easier to begin to go.
1: Oh. Yeah, it's just a. <laughs>
0: That probably wasn't actually personal. They probably didn't. I always use the traffic analogy, right? You're driving in traffic and somebody cuts you off. We get mad like it was a personal attack.
1: He looked at you in the eyes and said, I'm going to cut you off. He literally
0: was driving down the road and went, you know what? I see Ken this morning. Boy, I am going to wreck his day. I'm going to cut. No, it's not. They're in their own little world. They either didn't see you or they were in a hurry and whatever. It wasn't personal. It's not about uh, you. Most of the time everything it's really not usually about you it's usually not it's just not about us (laughs) even when you now every once in a while it is but 99 percent of the time it's
1: yeah exactly most (laughs) of the time it's not it shouldn't be about you
0: yeah the attack is usually most of the time the intent behind it the other way i've heard it say is don't ascribe to ill intent what could just basically incompetence it may literally just be they didn't know what they were
1: doing. <laughs> My experience is probably mostly that. More often than not, it's actually confidence. <laughs> They're just not really good at what they do. Here's
0: one of the questions that I like to ask every guest. My brand is Inspired Stewardship. I do things. I talk about the word stewardship. And like leadership, it's one of those words that we throw around, but it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to everybody. So when you hear the word stewardship, what does that word mean to you?
1: I really, for me, it is this, I get a double, a double vision for me. One is somebody kind of walking like the bow and with holding two people's hands and just walking in front of them, like the bow of a boat. So it's together, but you're also leading and showing. There's that combination. And if you're holding two people's hands and you're walking and you're leading them, you've got a strength. You have a kind of a determination. And if, if you zoom out on that, if that's kind of your micro view, if you zoom out on that, it's the representation of the larger group. And your role as a leader is to take this organization, to take bigger picture, to take that bigger beast and to guide it through these waters, right? To be that captain, to take them through, you've got to plot that course. So your job is to bring that thing, bring that ship through the canal. Guide it through with the right trajectory, the right speed. Can you and see what's in front of you far enough to turn that ship? Because you can't turn them on the dime, right? You need some time. You need. You want to do this, and you don't want to do it too fast. you knock over the China. So you got to. got So for stewardship, for me, does really embody that that horizon thinking, and you know, doing things through the storms where people doubt and you've got a plan and you're holding the course, hold the course and bring people along with you.
0: I love it. So this is my favorite question that I like to ask everybody that this might be a a jar-like question in a way. Imagine for a moment that I invented this magic machine and with the power of that machine, I could take you from where you are today and transport you into the future, maybe 150, 250 years. And through the power of this machine, you were able to look back and see your entire life, and see all, all of the connections, all of the ripples, all of the impacts that you've left. What impact do you hope you've left behind in the world?
1: Yeah, it's that that deathbed question, right? <laughs> when you're looking back, and what I are you just your...
0: tried to make it nicer than you did? <laughs> 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 write your eulogy, but yes, it is the yeah. eulogy question.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Scott. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to boil it down to the eulogy question. Yeah it is it's the way back machine I, and i think it's different too even from the from that one because it, it is more inspired you're not looking back from that moment because at that moment it doesn't there is no such thing really as an impact you've touched people but if it's 100 years or 200 years later that's maybe different right it's even more powerful it's even a harder achievement i think the first off one the first one for me is i'm going to use a i'm going to use a mr rogers neighborhood quote which is if it's just one person, mm-hmm. just one person I help or I affect in a positive way through the show, then I would have done good because the one person it could have in a hundred years, that could have some impact mm-hmm. If you think about it. So it is <clears throat> I think it's a powerful question, the way you ask it, because sometimes in one generation or one lifetime, we won't see the impact of one person. But one person could be a father. And the two kids that they have, the impact that they can have on their children and their grandchildren, now you're talking 150 years, and that could be a powerful exponential impact. So the idea that not taking time out to help somebody at work, that one person in life, helping that one person can make a huge difference, a massive difference exponentially when we look back on it, especially further we go out and i hope i hope that the jar does give people the couple things that i set out to do which is tell their story to be heard and to and to allow other people to hear those stories and to connect with them in a way and all the people i'm interviewing are still alive and still pretty inspirational and people can take can take comfort in that and yeah so that's what i hope awesome
0: so what's coming next? What's on the roadmap? I know you said you were heading to Atlanta, and then what's after that? Yeah,
1: so I've so a couple. Of th- I've got the I've got half the show, half the project to do. I got a couple hundred interviews in about fifty cities, so I'm grinding out on that. I am starting. Excuse me, my next book, Ken's Rules, and these are my corporate rules, and I'm going to use that for public speaking. So I'm finally going to get to my public speaking career. <laughs> It was in the queue, and things are aligned. Things are aligned. And uh, so I'm working on the, the sp- kind of speeches or the programs that I would offer and everything. And that'll come from these Ken's rules, 12 rules. We talked about momentum, horizon thinking, pick the red one, <laughs> this kind of silly stuff, analogies to regular life. And uh, and that's really it. So write the next book and keep going on the tour, build the public speaking thing, and then see, as people always ask me, what's next? What's what, at the end of the jar, what do you do? I don't know. I don't, I'm going to, we'll see. And mm-hmm. if people sometimes they look at me and they're like, okay, that's, I don't think I could do that, but that's what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I was waiting, <laughs> whether they know they're doing it or not, I was <laughs> waiting for that to draw the shoe to drop, which is, but, yeah. but don't, you know, but that's when the boss comes do. in tomorrow and says, you're going to Indonesia, <laughs> are you ready for that? That's called being alive. That's uh, Yeah.
0: You can find out more about Ken and the jar, the books, everything else that he does over at thejar.live and the mm-hmm. word thejar.live. Yeah. Of course, I'll have links to that in the show notes as well. Ken, anything else you'd like to share with the listener? Yeah,
1: no, I think that's I think that's it. It's been a great chat, Scott. I really appreciate the time. One one a bonus thing for people, if you do go to the website, thejar.live, you will get A link to the first part of the the book of self, which has got the yesterdays, todays, and tomorrows. And it's a fun read. These are each letters by itself. You can read it on, it's about a five-minute read per letter. Great. But great. I think there's some good stuff to think about in there, especially for executives to get you your head around your tomorrows and your past. But download that before they jump on the next plane. Yeah, absolutely. It's a PDF.
0: (laughs) And read it on the plane. That's where I did a lot of reading.
1: Oh, <clears throat> yeah. oh, man. I read everything Churchill ever wrote oh, well, on airplanes. <laughs> and if you've seen <laughs> you yeah, go good, it, you go Google That's a pretty good amount. I forget this war book, some of like his old war history stuff that he wrote. Just been, And I looked like a true idiot carrying around a three-inch thick book on a Look. plane.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Ken. It was great having you today. I love all of your insights, and I hope the listeners get some value out of it. And then go check out, the the jar and see if it's coming to a city near you. You might be able to...
1: Find me and be a guest, man. Come on. Especially Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Texas.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but ask on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate. All one word. iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed until next time invest your time your talent and your treasures develop your influence and impact the world